evening I I'd like to give a little overview about the Noble Eightfold Path and then uh, go a little bit into the Sila portion, the ethics portion of the path. And, uh, you know, starting with uh, saying, you know, the Noble Eightfold Path is a protection against getting lost in our own greed, hatred and delusion and in the greed, hatred and delusion of others. That's one way how we can uh, describe it. And uh, it doesn't protect us from problems, but it protects us from the confusion and despair in regards how to meet life. So it won't, you know, everything will still happen. We still lose loved ones and get sick and age and die, but we are not confused by it to the extent we have been before we, you know, came to know the, the path. Because it's a foundation, you know, from which we can open and fully participate in the human experience. And we don't need to, um, you know, be so defensive, so protective, because there is a clear guidance, you know, how to walk in the right direction. And, you know, we can compare the Noble Eightfold Path like with a safety rope. With consisting of eight strands, you know, which are uh, which are woven together, and because of that, it's incredibly strong, and and they can't really be separated from each other. Those eight strands, they they work together, and you know, we have this mantra which we chant every morning, so that you know depicts the noble eightfold path, and we can see also the three uh, areas of it. On this paper, it's it's uh, displayed with wisdom being the first one, then ethics or sila, and concentration or uh, or stability of mind is the, is the last one. So you know, once we have confronted the limitations of samsara, and that's you know what what's understood under what the right view is all about. Once we have understood you know, what samsara is and what it cannot give us, then we are usually ready, you know, to get interested in some kind of a wisdom teaching and, and the Buddhist teaching is one of the several wisdom teachings, you know, we are, which are available on the planet at this point. And it's very pragmatic because it's a very clear you know, map which is uh, offered and also very clear meditation instructions with which we can cultivate our mind so it has the strength and the steadiness, you know, to really follow that path. And, you know, even we sometimes lost in the dark, you know, we can still hold on to this rope and then we know how to relate to our own lostness or to our own confusion. And that's the difference, you know. Before we have uh, met that path, we tend to get lost in, in the confusion, in the greed, in the hatred. And once we have a certain level of understanding, we are capable, you know, to 
be aware of the lostness rather than becoming lost. And there's a huge difference in that. And that's, you know, the main... Uh, that's the refuge in Buddha, knowing that you are lost rather than becoming lost. And then, you know, if we know we are lost, we just slow down. And maybe, you know, sit down even and don't do anything. And that sounds like nothing much, but it's, it's, it's very, very huge difference to understand, you know, that those clouds which are coming into the mind, you know, that they, they are temporary and we don't need to become them, we can just be aware of them. And that's the capacity of the path is to support us that we can stay steady enough to exactly do that, you know, to recognize what has arisen rather than becoming it. So it's a training, you know, which helps us to come out from under our habitual responses, our habits, our instincts, our fears, our drives. And then, you know, we have a, the freedom to choose how we want to show up in the world. The freedom to choose, you know, to the person we want to be, rather than to just, you know, get lost in the repetition compulsion of of trauma, you know, we can say, you know, always doing the same thing because we just can't really um, contain, you know, the discomfort of the energy which is, you know, racing through the body if we are triggered. And then the only thing we can think about is how we can, can we get rid of the discomfort and then we fall again and again in, into habitual ways, you know, of, of doing things, saying things and so on. And thinking, most of all, you know, thinking is the forerunner of everything. So the Noble Eightfold Path is mainly actually, or ultimately, it's a mind training. And it's really, because it's impossible, you know, to separate the, uh, the foundation, the ethical foundation from meditation. That, you know, without an ethical foundation, the meditation doesn't really go very deep. And that's why you know, we always you know, take the precepts, at least on monastic retreats, you know, because it's understood that the, the ethical foundation is, is that you know, which enables the path to really uh, take off, you know, to really go into the depths. And you know, gives us the framework to be able to be with the burning, as we you know, yesterday with the fire sermon I spoke about the or we read about the burning, which needs to be, um, yeah, which needs to be understood what's happening. You know, rather than um, giving into it, we need to be steady enough to to witness it, and then you know, through witnessing it, we get cooked, kind of. When we get we mature, and we're getting cooked softer and softer and then the grip, you know, of, of attachment is released slowly through that cooking process. And, uh, and burning, you know, is nothing else different than being with the discomfort of, of not, you know, going along with the habitual ways of responding. And usually, you know, when, before we, we waking up, 
we are usually you know following that uh, the habits because we feel like there's such a strong momentum in the system and it just feels right you know to to do it until we we see you know where it takes us and then we start to understand no that's that's we don't have to we don't have to follow that we can just uh, be with it you know and allow it to change us so you know in that sense the noble eightfold path is based on natural law and the buddha hasn't invented it or anything like that but he's just had the capacity you know to lay it out and in the scriptures the noble eightfold path is compared you know with an with an ancient path which the Buddha has rediscovered. And there is like a sutta in the um, Samyutta Nikaya 12.65 and it's called the city. And I'm just going to read a, a little bit of it. And so it's just explained, you know, what the Noble Eightfold Path is. Suppose, monastics, a man wandering through a forest would see an ancient path, an ancient road traveled upon by the people of the past. He would follow it and would see an ancient city, an ancient capital that had been inhabited by people in the past with parks, groves, ponds, and ramparts, a delightful place. Then the man would inform the king or a royal minister, Sire, know that while wandering through the forest, I saw an ancient path, an ancient road traveled upon by people in the past. I followed it and saw an ancient city, an ancient capital that had been inhabited by people in the past, with parks, groves, ponds, ramparts, a delightful place. Renovate that city, Sire. Then the king or the royal minister would renovate the city and some time later that city would become successful and prosperous, well populated, filled with people, attained to growth and expansion. So to monastics, I saw the ancient path, the ancient road traveled by the perfectly enlightened ones of the past. And what is that ancient path, that ancient road? It is just this noble eightfold path that is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. I followed that path and by doing so I have directly known aging and death, its origin, its cessation and the way leading to its cessation. Having directly known them, I have explained them to the monastics the monks, the nuns, the male lay followers and the female lay followers. This holy life, monastics, has been successful and prosperous, extended, popular, widespread, well proclaimed among um, devas and humans. And devas are you know, angelic beings or godlike beings. So that's the definition of, the, of this ancient path which, you know, before I have been comparing it with a rope or a cable, you know, made out of eight strands, divided into three groups, 
And those three groups, you know, they are actually first found in what's called the Ovada Barimoka, and that was the first set of rules which the Buddha has been giving, you know, to the monastics before the training rules as we know them today have been established. So before, you know, because the monastics were, there were not so many and they were also all attained and on these days it's not anymore like that, you know, that all monastics automatically have realized, you know, the, the teaching. Because the monastics are just people like anybody else that just wear these outfits, you know, and live in a certain way, but that doesn't guarantee that they necessarily understand everything better than you. <laughs> so that's something to um, know. You know, it's not not uh, automatically comes with the ordination that we understand everything better. So, so this this uh, first time, you know, this Ovada Padimoka was very simple and just consisted of three lines. And the first one is, avoid the unskillful. Second one, do what is good. And the third one, purify the mind. So that was the, the first set of rules. And then here, you know, in the Noble Eightfold Path, we can see that there's the ethics group, which is the avoid the unskillful or abstain from the unskillful and then the next group, the concentration group, do what is good or cultivate and then the third one is the wisdom group, purify the mind or let go. And the sila group, you know, is, is this divided into right speech, right action and right livelihood. So to abstain from wrong speech, wrong action and wrong livelihood. And then the concentration group is cultivating the mind through right effort, right mindfulness, and right stability or immersion or concentration sometimes is it's translated. And which is not such a good word because concentration is sometimes understood as being in you know, a very kind of point, just pointed on a very small uh, point. And Concentration not necessarily need to be that way. You know, concentration can also be vast, but it's about not being lost. You know, in in thinking about anything, but just being really with the present moment experience. And then the third group is the um, the wisdom group, panya, and that's right view and and right intention or right thought. It's also um, translated you know and all together the path is also sometimes called the middle way or the middle path but not you know in the sense of being a compromise but in the sense of you know stepping out of old ways of reacting and reacting means you know to repeat habitual ways to you know, be, be kind of lost in the loop of repeating and repeating. And then through this Noble Eightfold Path, you know, we get instructions that help us to, you know, not suppress what's going on in us, in the mind and in the body, 
but also not being carried away from, by that. And through that uh, middle path between those two extremes, the transformation process you know, happens. And, you know, that can be quite uncomfortable if we don't give in to the habitual ways. But it is necessary, you know, for the transformation to be, you know, to have that stability through the, of the path so that we can hold steady enough and let that happen. And then over time, you know, we, we become more and more experienced and we have more and more confidence that actually discomfort doesn't mean there's anything wrong. Discomfort just means discomfort. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, when we go to the dentist or when we have an operation, it can be very much, uh, you know, painful and very discomfort. But at the same time, you know, it can save our life. So to just, you know, this connection between discomfort and something is wrong and comfort and something is right, that's, that's just a story, really. And that's very difficult, actually, to disconnect those because in somehow we believe it needs to be comfortable in order to be right. And that's one of the main, you know, things uh, which the Noble Eightfold Path provides us with that we don't get lost in that judgment, really, because it's so absolutely not true. And in that sense, you know, that journey which the Noble Eightfold Path supports is like a, is, or is like a revelation, a journey of revelation, you know, where more and more assumptions fall away. Those, you know, cognitive and emotional filters which we have... Uh, accumulated, you know, over time through our upbringing, through our learning in school and, you know, through the way we have been conditioned. And over time, you know, they, they start to fall away. Like, uh, you know, if you, for example, have a pair of new shoes, you know, and, uh, and go out with those new shoes for the first time and then you, after an hour or so, you notice that the left shoe is really painful. And then after a few hours you come back home and take off that shoe and that kind of a feeling, you know, that kind of sense of being freed from something which was very limiting. And that's what that Noble Eightfold Path enables us to do, even there might be a period of, of increased discomfort before it drops off. And uh, in that sense, you know, many of the questions we have, they, they start to, they are not being necessarily answered, you know, but they start to fall away because we don't, they, they just don't make any sense anymore. Because if we no longer judge our experience in the same way, for example, if discomfort and comfort are not the most important thing in our life any longer, our life becomes empowered and uh, you know because of that underlying principle the, the 
the liberating insights, you know, they are not necessarily all coming to us, you know, through the through the mind on an intellectual level, but they are you know, quite often like they really transcend the thinking mind and they are coming, you know, straight to the heart in in a more non-verbal way. But still, you know, the, the details of the past are not arbitrary. So it's it's a you know, if, if we are walking this path and if we are choosing, you know, to, for example, no longer define our life in terms of comfort and discomfort, then our heart, you know, and our kind of aspiration is, you know, is able to connect with, with the path in a way which is not going through the intellect, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more intuitive approach. And, uh, and for, you know, for that capacity to awaken, we need a steadiness so that we can contain these, these energies, you know, which get triggered, and then so that we can channel them in the right direction. And it's no longer the most important thing, you know, to feel comfortable as quick as possible. But we kind of start to understand that that burning, you know, needs to be investigated, needs to be understood, and needs to be related to. And, you know, I have one definition for what wisdom is. Wisdom is personal experience understood and that means you know to really go very close to stand under it and allow it you know to show itself fully and then you know it uh, becomes part of our being it's it's no longer like just an intellectual thing you know which somebody told us but it it becomes a part of who we are <coughs> And that requires that burning, you know, that requires that the cooking, that, that requires the allowing it to do its thing, you know, and not, not interfering. And, and, and the sila, you know, the ethics, the, the precepts are a necessary support for that. And I just want to go a little bit into the sila group now. And just read out some of the definitions, you know, what's understood to be, for example, what's understood to be right speech, abandoning false speech. One abandons, one abstains from false speech, one speaks the truth, adheres to truth, is trustworthy and reliable, one who is no deceiver of the world. So that's definition, you know, from the, the short the simile of the elephant's footprint, uh, Machamanikaya 27. And then abandoning malicious speech. One abstains from malicious speech. One does not repeat elsewhere what one has heard here in order to divide those people. Nor does one repeat to these people what one has heard elsewhere in order to divide them from those. Thus they are one who reunites those who are divided, a promoter of friendships, 
who enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, a speaker of words that promote concord. And abandoning harsh speech, one abstains from harsh speech, one speaks such words as are gentle, pleasing to the ear and laughable, as go to the heart, are courteous, desired by many and agreeable to many. And abandoning gossip, one abstains from gossip, one speaks at the right time, speaks what is fact, speaks on what is good, speaks on the Dhamma. At the right time, one speaks such words as are worth recording, reasonable, moderate and beneficial. And then right action. The definition is not, you know, not killing, not stealing, not engaging in sexual misconduct. And then the last one is right livelihood. Not trading in weapons, not trading in living beings, not trading in meat, not trading in intoxicants, and not trading in poison. That's you know the definition of right livelihood, and you know these days maybe you know also fossil fuel would probably fall under poison. Let's say I think, and. Uh, so that's the you know the definition from the suttas, and I think you know the we can say the precepts or the ethics you know are really based on the insight that we are not separate you know we are not separate from each other, really, and we are not separate from the earth. So we whatever we do to others you know we do to ourselves, and. Uh, You know, in the morning when we are doing the morning chanting and there's, the, the, uh, there's one um, section about the Dhamma. It's on page, uh, on page 8, page 8 and 9, and there's the, the definition of what the Dhamma is. And we can see on page 9 there's that word Opanaiko. And that's, you know, and that's translated in this, in this book is translated as leading inwards. In other books it's sometimes translated as leading onwards. And I think both are actually true. And so that speaks about, you know, the Dhamma as the Noble Eightfold Path, walking that path. So walking our talk, you know, basically opens up the path inside of ourselves but also it always has also a component outside of ourselves. So in the sense that the Dharma responds through life circumstances. So if we really walk our talk, then you know, we come into increasing coherence you know, with, with our values. And then you know, certain things happen which you know, look quite mysterious, but actually it's the Dhamma responding because the Dhamma wants to be realized. And and as even here, you know, in this in the chanting book we chanted every day. And and it also says, you know, it is to be experienced individually by the wise. So it's 
it's something you know which has to be put into action by everyone individually and then and the way how to do that is is to walk that noble for path and what becomes clear you know as we are walking it what becomes increasingly clear is is that we are not separate you know from each other and also not separate from everything else and what also becomes clear is you know that the the experience of ego the ego isn't doing the grasping but what becomes more and more clear is that the grasping the habit of grasping uh, is at the root of the experience of the ego and so there's not a, a small somebody in in our in our mind or in our heart who is doing that but it's more the habitual patterns produce that experience of that there is somebody there and and that's something you know which through walking the path it becomes more and more apparent that the way you know we experience ourselves is is something you know which is the result of conditioning and if we start you know to investigate that conditioning and if we take the guidance you know of this uh, path it starts to unravel and and then our life you know takes on it becomes more and more spacious and if there's more and more space then there's more and more capacity you know to allow things to find their own solutions and we don't have to direct everything we we much more uh, you know do not interfere with everything the whole time and through this interfering you know making things more and more complicated but it's it's more like a stepping back and uh, allowing you know the right response to emerge from you know from our deep um, capacity you know to stay open and and to and to be undefended you know towards our experience and the noble full path or uh, that that safety rope I you know was speaking about gives us that um, that grounding and and the guidance and also that we can really increasingly uh, more and more do that so I think that's you know all I wanted to share today thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate